everybody. It's Miss Virginia USA 2019, Courtney Lynn Smith, and you're listening to Life After the Crown with Tim Tialdo. Hey, everybody. My name is Tim Tialdo, and welcome to Season 2 of the Life After the Crown podcast. Now, if you haven't had a chance to listen to any of the previous episodes, I do encourage you to go back and listen because there are many valuable interviews that you will definitely gain some wisdom from. Now, for those of you who are just tuning in for the first time, welcome and thanks for checking us out. Each episode of Life After the Crown, I interview former pageant contestants, title holders, and women of influence who share advice and stories on how to help you succeed in the world of pageants, but more importantly, how you can flourish in the professional world once your pageant journey comes to an end. As always, I appreciate you taking the time to download this podcast. I do value your time, and I'm glad you're here listening. So let's get started. My guest today just gave up her crown as Miss Virginia USA 2019. She also held the titles of Miss Junior Teen America, Miss Georgia Teen USA 2012, and Miss Georgia Collegiate 2016. Last year, she was selected from a field of more than 8,000 applicants as part of the Sweet 16 for the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition and walked in the 2019 runway show for Sports Illustrated during Miami Swim Week. She is a fifth-generation member of the military, serving for her fifth year as a psychological operations specialist in the United States Army Reserve. She is a student at Virginia's Liberty University working towards her Bachelor of Arts degree in communication with a double minor in sociology and social work. She, along with her best friend Lily, started their own organization at 10 years old called Queens for Courage to raise support and awareness for wounded warriors. She was recognized for these efforts with the prestigious Prudential Spirit of Community Award by the Duchess of York at the White House. Along with her support to wounded warriors, she also advocates for more access to mental health programs in an effort to decrease or eliminate the veteran service member suicide rate. Her future plans include working as a foreign services officer and modeling. She's been a real role model for many this past year. Courtney Lynn Smiths, welcome to Life After the Crown. It's great to have you on. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, well, we've been talking quite a bit on uh, Instagram just about possibly finally getting you on here. And I know you just gave up your crown uh, as we speak this past weekend. Uh, But as I look at your bio there, as I'm reading it, I mean, you've held a lot of different titles and pageantry has been a a big part of your life for the last decade. Uh, Let's walk back through that. So Miss Junior Teen America looks like it was the first one. What got you into pageants? Um, So Miss Junior Teen America was definitely the first major title that I was able to hold. I actually started doing pageants when I was 18 months old. Um, My parents saw a pamphlet or one of those little table things on the mall, like in the mall food court for (laughs) Sunburst pageants. And my, we were in North Carolina. My parents were stationed there at the time. And, um, they just decided to go for it. They they put me in my first ba- little baby pageant, and um, I I think it's safe to say that I was I have been hooked since. I mean, um, there's a video of me at my I think it was my first pageant. Um, my mom brought me up on stage, and my dad was out in the audience, and I saw him, and I just like lost my mind, like screaming, <laughs> smiling, blowing kisses. Like I think it's definitely safe to say that I um, I have been hooked on pageantry since I was a young girl, but. Um, I have had the great honor of holding so many awesome titles and meeting so many cool people. So I'm just like, it's crazy to think that that chapter of my life is potentially over. And you never know what's going to happen in the future. But as of right now, I think um, it's time to move on, go, you know, finish school, get a career, stuff like that. So So you've been competing since you were 18 months old. Yes. (laughs) 
Uh, so my 20 month old daughter is already behind is what you're telling me. Oh, yep. You better get on it. Sam. I mean, it's time. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you did Teen America, Georgia Teen USA, Georgia Collegiate, uh, Virginia USA just this past year. Uh, I'm guessing you competed in the different states because you're a military kid and you traveled uh, around a lot. Is that right? Um, yes. So I actually grew up in Georgia. I went kindergarten through 12th grade in the same school district because my mom made us a promise that we were going to stay in the same school um, our entire school career. So I was very blessed in that aspect. But um, when I was, this was probably two years ago now, about eight months before the Miss Virginia USA pageant, um, my mom got a huge promotion up in Washington, D.C., and my grandmother had recently moved in with us. I was kind of at a crossroads with schools, as in I could transfer um, schools. And I was at the University of North Georgia, um, but I was ready to, you know, see what else was offered out there in the world. So I came up here with them, and now it's three crazy ladies living in one house. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, as you look back on four different titles, just giving up the last one, uh, which one was your favorite and maybe why? Oh, that's a tough one. It's hard to choose between the USA titles. Um, one, because li- growing up in Georgia, I had such an incredible support system through pageantry. Um, and I, you know, basically had a family, you know, the Georgia pageantry can be pretty serious sometimes. Um, and I grew up with these girls um, competing as a, as a young girl, and we all competed together through high school and college years. So it was cool seeing, you know, the culmination of that when one girl wins a big title, everybody is so happy for them. And that support system behind them is amazing. So I had a, such a great support system, such a great sponsorship sy- system through the Georgia Teen USA program. And Kim Green was an amazing woman and was a fantastic role model. So that was definitely a great experience. And coming up to Virginia, it was such a different experience because I had a whole different great support system, but I had to learn how to do it more on my own as a Miss. And having the Miss Virginia USA title was my first major Miss title, I would say. So kind of learning how to do all of that, you know, as a Miss and doing it more on my own um, was a learning experience, which I appreciate more than I think I realize. Now, for anybody that's ever met you in person, uh, maybe they've seen you on mm-hmm. stage, they've seen you on Instagram. You are tall. Yes. <laughs> um, have you found that to be an advantage or do you feel like it's been a disadvantage for you competing? Um, I think it's definitely been an advantage in the aspect that, you know, it kind of makes me stand out more. Um, I still and the girl that will show up. I'm six one and I, I don't think that always registers as a female who is six one. That doesn't always register for people who haven't met me in person, but I am still the six one girl that shows up in her Chinese laundry tippy top. So <laughs> not only am I six one, I'm, I'm also six inches taller than six one by the time I get on stage. So I think that's definitely an advantage. Um, shopping for gowns wasn't always easy, but thankfully, you know, like Giovanni, their gowns are always insanely long. So I've gotten lucky with a few gown companies. I worked for McDougal for almost 10 years and they have always been so wonderful and helping me find the perfect gown. So it's been a disadvantage in clothing-wise and boyfriend-wise for sure, but uh, competing-wise, <laughs> I think it's definitely paid off. So, Are guys intimidated by you? Um, yeah, I, I would say so. You know, <laughs> they, again, I don't, people don't realize when I say 6'1", they don't, it doesn't click for them until they see it in person. So like, I don't know like what the disconnect is there, but then, you know, I go on a date and guys are like, oh, so you really are tall. And I'm like, you've met me. And they're, they, they're like, yeah, but you know what? Um, the tallness doesn't really sink in until we're like, you know, on a date date. And I was like, okay, that doesn't make any sense, but thank you. <laughs> Sounds like we better start hanging you out with basketball players. Exactly. <laughs> 
Well, um, you know, I, I guess one thing I do want to talk about, I've had a, a, quite a few of your uh, sisters from the USA class on. Um, I had Allie and Alea on recently. I, of course, had Chesley on. And I asked all of them because I think for everybody that listens, they want to know what it's like to go through the whole pageant system right now. I, I talk to a lot of people from the past, and we can talk about everywhere from the 90s to the 2000s, but you actually just participated in what is the most current version of Miss USA. And I would just kind of love to know from your standpoint, what's the experience been like and are you happy um, with your experience in the current world of pageantry? Um, I think the current world of pageantry is at such a dramatic or drastic change or cross paths um, growing up in pageantry. You know, I've seen it from, you know, the 90s as a baby all the way up until now. And so I think just seeing the um, insane changes that have gone on, gone on during the um, life of pageantry in the past 20 years has been interesting. I'm not sure if pageantry now and pageantry 20 years ago can necessarily be compared because it's such a different, you know, time frame. But I think now pageantry is leaning towards um, more like social movements um, as compared to when, you know, it was in the early 2000s as you know, it was more the typical beauty pageant. So um, now is more of like a coming in and you have to have a story. You have to have the education. You have to have like more of like the whole package. You have to have the beauty and the height and the body and all, all of this stuff culminating into one thing. Whereas in the early 2000s, I think as long as you were tall and beautiful with a pretty face and you were, you know, you could form a generally coherent sentence, then you were good to go. <laughs> so... I, you know, and I, you know, I know you've heard me have these conversations with, you know, quite a few people. Probably the most poignant one was with Shandy, um, in which we got into some mm-hmm. of the more controversial subjects. But for a lot of the women that I've talked to in your class, for some, it really bothers them, and for others, they're like, "No, I actually kind of mm-hmm. like it." I know the pageant word when you girls say "interesting." Interesting is like a nice way to say I'm not really a fan of it. Um, so, right. you know, <laughs> from, from your standpoint. What would you like to see change if you could for the 2020 class? I really just hope that these girls focus more on being a capable leader and capable um, title holder rather than hoping that they make it to the top because of a, and I don't think sob story is the right word, but that's the word I'm going to use. I don't want them to think that they can make it all the way because of a sob story or because I know there's a big controversy out there with transgender women competing or one of the title holders for this class has been all over the news because of her sexuality. Like, in my personal opinion, I don't think that should matter whatsoever. As long as you are a capable leader and capable title holder, um, I, I want them to be able to that that's what it takes to be Miss USA or Miss Universe or Miss America or whatever. It's a little frustrating that, you know, some people are making such a big deal out of this because I, as a 23-year-old white girl, um, sometimes I feel like, you know, it's not okay to be normal anymore. Like, why do I have to have a sob story or have some big dramatic thing that went on in my life in order to be a capable title holder. So that's, I think that's the more frustrating part. You know, I'm, I'm just a, I'm a, I'm a basic normal person and um, I have worked my rear end off in order to become Miss Virginia USA and be the best Miss Virginia USA that I could possibly be. Um, But I don't have a crazy sob story and I don't have some big dramatic thing that went on in my life in order to get me to that point, but I still did it. I just, I just want girls to realize that that's, um, that's not all it takes. You don't need a sob story in order to be successful. Well, and I think what you're bringing up is is one of the big arguments, and I realize for everybody listening, I know this is controversial, so don't get all pissy when we talk Mm -hmm. about this, but, um, (laughs) you know, it's the story part of it 
um, is not just a story. What it, right. I guess, the uh, the perception has been that the story really is more identity politics. You know, if the story of right. your journey factors into what's hot right now. So I'll give you a, a good example. Would have been Kaylin Miller Keys uh, two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, was a rape victim from, you know, she's from Virginia. She ended up in North Carolina right. and went on from there. But she was referred to offline as the Me Too girl. Now, I know Kaylin. We worked together before the pageant. I think the world of her. Um, it just happened to be mm-hmm. that she fell into that category and the story worked really well for, you know, Fox at the time. And I think that's what people right. are now seeing is they're like, oh, I don't have the story that fits the narrative of what's going on in politics or society right now. So I probably don't have a chance. And I think... There's, a, I think it's a warranted opinion. I don't, I do. I know that that's true mm-hmm. or not. I don't. I really, I, I couldn't tell you one way or the other. But I, I definitely get the frustration with it, and I, I think that it is the responsibility, maybe not of MUO, but of IMG. You know, the ownership to say, look, we need to balance this mm-hmm. thing out a little bit more and take away some of the things that are driving people nuts. Because if it's just about ratings and about money, look, I get it. I, I, I realize why they do that. But it, you know, then it. What's mm-hmm. pageantry anymore if it's just about ratings and money? Exactly. Yeah, it, it's it's a good argument. And I, I 100% get it from your standpoint, and I, I agree with it, to be quite honest with you. I just I don't know how exactly to fix it right now, and I'm hoping that, you know, the powers that be will, will continue to move on that. But uh, I appreciate you sharing your opinion because I know it, you know, it can be controversial, and you certainly don't want anybody to look at you and hate you. But sometimes we have to throw out opinions that, you know, we feel very strongly about. And I appreciate you doing that. Absolutely. And I, in, in saying that, I don't want girls to feel like, you know, their, their story is not important or their story should be, you know, buried. Like your life is your life. And if you went through something traumatic or you went through something that changed your life and it's something that you think could help other people, then I want you to go with that. I want you to like, you know, I want you to use it and try to help other people in that process, but don't use it to the point like you said, as a political identifier to where you think it's going to get you ahead in life, because in all honesty, um, it's not. And as long as like, if you're not a capable leader or a capable title holder, capable in doing whatever you're trying to accomplish, and you're just trying to use that story or that journey to get ahead, I I think that's going to be realized. And um, people are going to see that a lot sooner than what you think. And it's, it's not going to go well. So just use your abilities as a, as a person and as a title holder, leader, whatever, to do the best job you can absolutely do instead of trying to um, make a name for yourself based off of life experiences. Because your life experience happened, but you are still in control of your future. So if you don't like something, it's your it's your job to change it. So take it as you will, but that's just the way I see it. <laughs> well, very well said. And I, again, I appreciate you sharing that. Now, I want to move on from pageantry because you have been a very popular member of this class, uh, not necessarily for your title as Virginia, but for um, the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition and everything that's been going on with that. So um, I had the huge, long conversation with Olivia Jordan about when she did it and she got into the issue. Um, I want you to talk about your journey and what you've gone through to be part of the Sweet 16 and, and what that has done for you this year. Yeah, I mean, this has been um, just an incredible experience. You know, I, I think it's so different from um, the Miss USA, Miss USA experience that I can't really compare and contrast the two. But when I went to Miami for swim week, I had every intention of just going down there, seeing what the deal was about. My um, my miss from when I was Miss Georgia teen, Jazz Wilkins, she's actually a, a former rookie. And she's the one who has inspired me and encouraged me after all these years to do it. And I figure, you know, after Miss USA, this is, you know, this is my the best body I'm ever going to have. So I might as well <laughs> go for it while I can. 
Um, so I just went down there. I think there were, there was probably six, seven, eight other Miss USA girls that went. Um, and a few of us ended up just like renting a little, like a apartment hotel for the week. And we were just going to make a week of it, have, you know, a little vacation, spend some time together. And then hopefully this would work out for one or more of us. So we all ended up going to the open casting. A few, a few of the girls, um, Haley and Hannah, which was West Virginia and Alabama, they actually got called back from the online submission videos that some of us did. I didn't get called back from it. Um, so I was, you know, standing in line with the other girls and, um, we ended up getting there at like four in the morning. It was pouring down rain. Um, we were outside. They wouldn't let us go into this hotel. So we were sitting outside and the open call didn't, didn't open until like, eight or nine. So we were sitting out there for hours, basically. And we were just hanging out. We were having a great time. Like I said, we were, we were really just there to spend time together and just like hope that this worked out for somebody. So we all ended up going in. We went through the whole process. We each got to interview with either a former rookie or a um, staff member from the magazine. Um, I got to interview with Brooks Nader, who is just like a dream and a goddess and just got married and, you know, generally perfect. So <laughs> I was very happy. And then at the end of the day, um, we all left. Actually, I think we were done by like 11. So we all ended up going to lunch, going back to our hotel. We took naps. They told us, you know, if you make it, you'll get a phone call, email, text messages, whatever. So again, we weren't really expecting anything. We were, we were getting ready to go out for a night on the town. We were going to go get dinner, um, go hang out with some other friends that were in town. And I was in the shower and I heard like bloody screaming from the other room and I jumped out of the shower thinking somebody's dying and it's Hannah um, saying that she got a call back for the top 60. We were all super excited and then Alice got one. She's Miss Ohio and everything was amazing. You know, we were so excited that two of our friends had made it in and then out of nowhere, like 30 minutes after both of them, I ended up getting one. I really thought I was going to pass out because, you know, at that point I didn't think anything was happening for me and I was just happy for my friends. And then the, so the next day we, we clearly went to bed very early wanting to be prepared for the next day. Um, we went in with the top 60 girls that got called back and um, there was a photo shoot with Utsai who is an icon, which was just kind of insane to, you know, stand there and pose in front of a camera for the youth side. And we did another little interview with MJ Day, who is, you know, kind of the top dog, I would say, for SI yeah. swimsuit. Mm -hmm. And we did like a question and answer panel thing. Olivia Culpo was there. Winnie was there. You know, a couple other like Camille Kostek was there. Like, it was just a very surreal and cool experience to sit down with these, like, you know, current, very famous supermodels and see what their insights were into the industry right now. So we just kind of had a whole day of that. It was great. And then they sent us all out into the hallway. We literally sat in this hallway for, like, probably two hours, all just getting to know each other, getting to know the other top 60 girls. And then the three of us, um, Alice, Hannah, and I were just, you know, very anxiously awaiting getting to go back in. So they bring us back into this room after a few hours. And it's kind of like that top model thing um, in the classic America's Next Top Model seasons when they would bring all the girls in. There were people standing on this little stage and they had like a stack of pictures in their hand. They set us all down. There's cameras everywhere. It was just like a very like odd thing. We didn't really know what to do with ourselves. So we just kind of sat there and they were like, if we call your name and show your picture, please come up on stage. You're, you've made it into the top 16. So they go through all these girls, all these girls, all these girls. Um, and they get to, I think it was... 14. And um, by that point, you know, basically it's over. Hannah and Alice and I were just sitting there happy that we had made it this far, determined that we were going to go back next year and hope for the best again. And they pull up my picture. And I, I think I, I really did black out because I don't remember getting up onto the stage. <laughs> um, <laughs> so 
I have is Hannah very sweetly took a video for me um, after I'd gotten up on stage, and I'm just like, my, my face is like beet red. I am just clearly very shocked. I was in tears. I was so happy. And we ended up going through the rest of the girls and it ended up being a top 17 because there were just 17 of us that they, you know, decided we're ready to be a part of that group. And um, since then, we have a group message. We've, you know, some girls um, work full time in the industry, so they've gotten to see each other at work and stuff like that. And now we are, again, anxiously awaiting the, the announcement of top six and those top six girls who get picked, which we should know in the next few days or week or maybe two weeks. So keep your fingers crossed. Um, those top six girls will officially become rookies. And at the end of February, I believe, will go on their rookie shoot um, at an undisclosed location. So it's all very, it's all very exciting. I think that's a great word for it is that it's just a very exciting chapter in my life that could really elevate my career, um, hopefully in modeling to the next level. And I'm excited to be a part of a group and part of an organization that work so hard to um, break glass ceilings and barriers for these girls that might not necessarily feel like they have a place in this industry, but now they do. And it's very cool to see dreams come true for not only me, but for this, for this group of girls as well. So this has been a long wait for you. I mean, that started when? What, what date was that? So I submitted my video at the begin- end of May, beginning of June. Oh, wow. um, didn't hear back from anything. Yeah. And then um, the open casting was in July, the middle of July. So yes, it has been a process. It's been quite a while, but it's never stopped being like, every time I talk about it, I start like nervous sweating and like getting butterflies in my stomach. And it's just, it's kind of cool to like be a part of the whole process and like kind of see how it all works. So are you staying in shape as you're kind of waiting and in anticipation of possibly getting the call? Yes. Yeah. So, um, a lot of people know that getting ready for Miss USA, I lost almost 70 pounds and it 70? was just like a, it was a whole, yes. Wow. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It was just, it was a, it was a whole long journey and process for me to, um, go from being this like kind of lost college student. I got, I had the privilege and honor of going to um, college with my brother and um, now sister-in-law, still best friends since I was 10 years old. I think that I allowed myself to become, you know, just part of the crowd, not realizing that I was destined for something much greater. And once I moved to Virginia, I started talking to some people that were a part of the Miss Virginia USA organization. I met my trainer, Craig Hughes, and he is just incredible. But not necessarily was I training to become Miss USA at that point. I was just um, focused on becoming healthy. I think I let myself get to the point where I was just at an unhealthy state. I was drinking a lot. I was hanging out with the wrong people. I was eating the wrong things. And I got winded walking up a flight of stairs. And as a 21-year-old at the time, that was embarrassing. So I was determined to get myself back in shape. And here we are now. And, I, and now I, you know, I go to the gym every single morning, six days a week, um, I train at a UFC gym, and I think that was part of the, the process that propelled um, my love of fitness at this point um, was finding something productive. I'm not the kind of person that will just go, you know, hey, let's go run 10 miles for fun because that, that's not fun. <laughs> but once I got involved into UFC, I, I found something productive to do with my time, and I found a reason to become involved in, you know, something athletic. Not only did I learn self-defense, I met some great friends through my UFC gym up here. And um, it really allowed me to get back in that mindset of becoming a healthy mid-20-year-old person that has so many great things in her, in her future. So 
now I can do all of them without getting winded walking up a flight of stairs. <laughs> well, when you started that process with Craig of, of losing 70 pounds and competing at Miss USA, I, I'm pretty sure that at that time you probably didn't envision yourself, envision yourself uh, walking down a runway half naked uh, for S- Sports Illustrated uh, in a video that's no, been reposted a million times practically. I mean, it's like every time <laughs> I log on to Instagram, there it is. <laughs> yes. I did. I 100% did not see that. And again, going back to Jazz Wilkins, um, she was always such a huge inspiration for me. And, um, you know, I, I, like I said, I figured after Miss USA, if there was going to be a time to do this, it was going to be now. Um, so I just went for it. And thankfully, praise God, it's worked out so far. So um, we'll see what happens. But even if I don't make Sports Illustrated this year, you can bet your butt I will be back there next year for the open casting because I've had such an incredible experience with this company. Well, let me ask this. When you get into the 16 and you talk to everybody that interviewed you and obviously made the choice, do they tell you why? Mm-hmm. Do they tell you the things that they liked about you or, or the attributes that they thought you know fit what they were looking for? Um, I think, yeah, yes and no. I mean, I didn't get to talk to every single person, but I got to talk to Brooks a little bit, and she said that uh, I think just us on a personal level had a connection, which helped a lot because I know she had a say in you know who got picked, as did all of the other girls. So they, they take that into consideration. They also take into consideration your... Um, photo shoot with Utah. It's just a few little snapshot, little snapshots. And I think that that was part of it as well. And then um, the little interview I got to do with MJ, I think I really just showed her who I was and told her, you know, we, she goes through the pictures that Utah took of you and she like, you and her pick out your favorite together. Um, that gets then submitted for them to consider whatever. And you get to talk to her a little bit. So I got to express to her that, you know, I picked this smiling picture of me um, that has been seen in People Magazine now, which is just absolutely insane. But I picked this smiling picture of me because I'm not necessarily a very serious, you know, sexy, whatever person. I consider myself sexy. I consider myself beautiful, but I'm not that all the time. I am a goofball. I'm just kind of a weirdo. (laughs) And um, I think that picture really showed that. But then I also got to talk to her about how cool I thought it would be to be the first military woman to be represented in Sports Illustrated. That has never happened before. So when I say that this company breaks glass ceilings and barriers for these girls, that's what they do. Like being the first military woman ever to be represented in Sports Illustrated swimsuit would be just like mind blowing for me because it's such a cool group of women to be a part of as a military woman that um, I think representing that group of women would be such an honor and um, just such a cool experience, especially in this aspect, going from, you know, the down and dirty uniform in the field working in the dirt type of girl that everybody thinks that I am to Sports Illustrated on a beach in a barely there bikini in the middle of whatever island that we get to go to. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) Well, since you and I are recording this interview, by the way, in late January, for those of you listening, I recorded this a few weeks back. (laughs) Will we know by the time this airs if you've made it or not? You should. Hopefully we'll know late January, so we should know in the next week or two because the shoots will be at the end of February. So fingers very much crossed or maybe congratulations by now. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to call it out and say congratulations. Way to go. Oh, thank you. I Here's to hoping. From your lips to God's ears, that's for sure. <laughs> well, I love it. Well, uh, you were mentioning uh, your military experience and, and number one, For everybody listening and myself, thank you for your service. We really, really appreciate it. And it is so nice to see someone like you in the military um, serving and and doing what you do. Now, you're fifth generation in your family. Is that right? Yes, 
I am. Wow. So you basically grew up knowing, <laughs> hey, I'm going to be in the military. Um, Not necessarily, actually. It's kind of a funny story. So, yes, I am fifth generation. I come, uh, my great-grandfather was a Marine. He fought in Guadalcanal. Um, in the movie, actually, we were soldiers. I know, I don't know if people have seen that. Um, but in that movie, he was one of the soldiers in that group um, that survived. So I am very honored and privileged to be a part of a family with such a cool military legacy. My mom was a female badass in the military. So was my stepmom. My stepmom flew C-5 Galaxies um, for the Air Force. So she flew those big giant cargo planes for the, for the Air Force. My mom was an interrogator for the Army. Uh, my dad was Special Forces. My brother is currently active duty infantry and is the first commissioned officer from my mom's side of the family, which is a very cool thing to say. And I, when I was 17, I was still in high school. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. Uh, my family had these big plans for me to go to college and, you know, get this beautiful, cushy job behind the desk. And um, not that they didn't think I was capable of more, but um, I think on a safety Safety-wise for parents, I think that's what they were hoping I would choose. And um, lo and behold, I decided to follow in their footsteps and um, joined the Army when I was 17 and left for basic training about a little less than a month after I graduated college or graduated high school, excuse me. So um, it's been an experience. My parents, needless to say, are very, very proud of my brother and I. And um, I'm going into February will actually be six years in the military, and I just signed another six-year contract. So um, I, I just committed to another six years in the Army, and I'm very excited to see, you know, where my career takes me with that. So when we say military woman, I realize that's a very wide array of things that we could say. You are in the Army. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen pictures yeah. of you with, a, you know, a, a tactical vehicle and a rifle in your hand. So what exactly <laughs> yeah. is it that you do in the military for people listening? Um, so I am what's called a psycholo psychological operations specialist. It is basically someone... Um, we go into whatever area of operation that we have at the moment, and our job is to build rapport or a relationship with the, with the people of this area just to kind of get a feel for, you know, the kind of people we're working with, the kind of, we work a lot with mass media communication, so figure out what, what, how they get their news or, you know, what type of social media they have access to, which is, you know, crazy to think, you know, the middle of Iraq, these people have access to social media, but clearly they do because we are in such a high-tech time. Um, so that's kind of my job. And then we, we figure out how we can best use that to our advantage and work with this civilization or population of people to build a relationship and like, you know, co-work with these people and see what we can do for them, what they can do for us and um, how that relationship would work best for both of us. Now, from my time in, uh, in the news when I was a journalist and I, I worked back when it was the Iraq War, I know that there are certain mm -hmm. units that are more likely to be deployed first. And then there are some that, you know, it only gets to that point if it gets really serious. Are you in one of the units that, you know, if, if something happened overseas, you get deployed quickly? Or is it something where you might not go for a while? Um, right. So I am in one of those units. There's like a whole process that goes behind it, um, which you probably know. But if something does, you know, happen to go down wherever in the world, um, we kind of get a notification not to be on standby, but just like, hey, you know, keep keep an ear out, keep an eye out, pay attention to your um, email, stuff like that, um, and just be prepared for whatever. Um, so like a few weeks ago, uh, when we had that small crisis with Iran, I, you know, I was told, don't be alarmed, but, you know, be prepared. The Soleimani um, so I mean, deal. that's basically, yes, 
Yes. Okay. So that's basically, I mean, any unit, they're going to tell you to be prepared at any point in time. And that's why we train so hard. I am in the reserve, so it's not something that I do day in and day out, but it's something that I train, you know, it's not just the typical weekend a month, two weeks in the summer that, you know, you see on the cute little commercials that the Army puts out there. It's, um, it's usually, you know, a week every month at least, and then sometimes up to a month, two months, three months in the summertime training. So, you know, it's, Stay prepared, but, you know, be ready. So do you consider yourself a tomboy being a military girl? (laughs) I, and I think all the guys in my unit can attest to this, I do not consider myself a tomboy. I can shoot a gun just as good as the guy next to me. Um, I prefer, you know, the heavy machine weaponry, but I consider myself, you know, a typical girl. (laughs) I would definitely (laughs) say that. I love I love everything, makeup, high heels, pretty clothing, pretty purses, stuff like that. But I can get down and dirty when I need to, for sure. <laughs> I feel a movie script coming along here with, with something just like that. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> <laughs> hey, it could happen. You never know. Uh, yeah. One other thing that I had mentioned in your intro uh, that I think was really interesting, I'd love to hear more about it, is the, uh, the Prudential yep. Spirit of Community Award that you were presented by the Duchess of York at the White House. That's uh, that's a pretty big yeah. deal. Um, let's hear about it. That was um, a very cool experience, actually. So it's, it happened a million years ago. It feels like I was in the sixth grade. Um, some people know that I started an organization when I was 10 years old with my best friend. And as I mentioned, now sister-in-law, my brother waited for 12 years for the love of his life. And now they're married with the most adorable baby I've ever seen in my life. So we started an organization together when we were 10 years old for wounded warriors. We raised money for prosthetic or prosthetic care for warriors that were coming home from war, whether it be, you know, they needed home adaptation for their for their new life or they needed, not all of them could afford the prosthetic care that they needed when they came home. So we started doing that at a very early age and it got a lot of traction. Like I said, I grew up in a very small town, so people took notice of it and I had a lot of support. Um, a lot of people that cared very deeply for our veterans. Um, I grew up in a, you know, there was a few military bases around us at the time and my Parents being veterans were obviously friends with other veterans, so we got very lucky in the support that we we got right off the bat. And then in sixth grade, I think one, I think it was one of my teachers or my mom or something submitted me for this award, and it was like this whole process of being interviewed. And each school across the state could submit one student. So my my school thankfully picked me to represent our our school um, on the state level. And then I got picked um, that each state gets to send one middle school and one high school student that gets picked to this week-long thing in, it was in Washington, D.C. at the time. So I thankfully got picked to be the representative for the middle schoolers across the state of Georgia. And then basically we spent a week and a half in Washington, D.C., you know, touring, meeting the other, meeting the other kids, meeting representatives and politicians and the Duchess of York, um, going to these seminars and kind of, um, explaining to people and lobbying for our organizations that we created. And then at the end of that week, I think it was five or 10 people. It was so long ago. I can't even remember. (laughs) Five or 10 people got picked to present their organization to um, the board of the Prudential Insurance Company. Then at the end of that, one middle schooler and one high schooler from, you know, from the nation um, got a grant for their, for their organization. I didn't make it to the final round, but each middle schooler and high schooler got presented with an award at the White House from the Duchess of York at the time. And it was a very cool experience. Like I said, it was so long ago, but it's something that I carry with me for the rest of my life. I have a medal that I got for the work that I put in for Wounded Warriors from the White House. So 
it kind of just solidifies everything that I've worked for and worked hard for for these wounded warriors. Um, now that my organization has adapted um, to the times and through my experiences in the military, I think it's grown and it's been such a incredible experience with my organization. I'm very proud of how far it's come for sure. Well, that's uh, fantastic. Congratulations on doing that. And I, I appreciate like how much effort you put into doing something like that because I don't think there's a lot of people out there that would do that. Thank you. Um, it's, it's definitely been... Um, like I said, it's adapted over time because of my own experience. I grew up in the military, but I never really had that, you know, firsthand experience when it comes to working with soldiers um, with prosthetics or working with soldiers with PTSD or traumatic brain injury. So since I've enlisted, I think it's adapted and changed so much because of the experiences that I've had in the military. And um, it's it's very cool to see how my experience has impacted the organization itself. Well, very cool. Uh, one last thing I want to chat about before we do our uh, get to know you yeah. questions. Um, it, it's totally goofy stuff, but it's uh, Bachelor related. So I, I know you're uh, watching. Yes. You're watching two of your sisters compete on the Bachelor right now. Um, I watched it last year. Yeah. I had I, I crowned Hannah Brown and uh, Kayla Miller Key. So I watched that whole thing unfold last year and how that went down. But now as a sister, or or we'll call it classmate of the girls competing now, what is it like uh, for you? to watch those girls on there. And I, I guess the other question is, what is the draw to why these girls want to do it so bad? I think the draw is not necessarily for the clout or the fame that comes along with it, but for, it's kind of, you know, there's, I've seen a lot of, I've seen it go two ways. After girls leave Miss USA, um, a lot of girls go back to, you know, their normal life. A lot of them have very stable, steady, amazing careers that they were already working on, and they go back to that or a lot of girls get married or whatever. But I've seen it go two ways for these types of girls. One, one group of girls will go towards Sports Illustrated. Thankfully, you know, that I was one of those girls, and I've been very lucky in that. Group another a. group of girls tend to go towards... <laughs> yes. <laughs> and another group of girls, um, Group A addendum or whatever, go towards The Bachelor. And um, I don't think it's they go for any negative reasons. I mean, I don't know the brains of each and every one of these girls, um, but I know I, my two sisters who are on this, this season um, did not go on there to find fame or whatever, you know, the typical connotation comes along with pageant girls on The Bachelor. It's been interesting, um, especially the past few weeks, um, <laughs> seeing everything play out. Because you and Alea um, are pretty tight, right? Alea, I am very proud to say, is one of my best friends in this world. And I'm very, very proud of how she has handled herself um, and everything that has come along with this season. Um, the same with Victoria. I mean, I think there's, there's so much you don't see on these shows. The same went for Kaylin and Hannah. There's so much you don't see on these shows that you don't get to know these girls. You know, I have spent enough time with these girls to know very well who they are. Um, Alea and I, we are travel buddies. We've been to Mexico together. We're about to go on another trip together. We are, she is one of those people that I will have in my life for the rest of my life. And I don't think anything that I have seen on that show necessarily represents who she is other than a goofy, loving, genuine, kind-hearted person. And and I will say the same about Victoria Paul. I was with Victoria when she literally came right. back when she was let go of the show and or, or walked off exactly. the show, however you want to refer to it. And she is just a wonderful person. And I know she was concerned about how they were going to portray her and all this stuff. And I'm sure that's probably how it's played out. But yeah, it's... It's just really interesting to watch, and, uh, you know, I always just love to hear it from you girls and, and kind of your standpoint of what you think of it, because I know Alea's kind of been the, uh, they've kind of labeled her as the, what do you, what do you want to call her, the bitch? Um, 
Yeah, the fake bitch I think is a good label. Um, I, she she clearly she clearly feels that that's how she she has been labeled as well. So I'm not saying anything she doesn't already know. Thankfully, the girls in our class and the people that are close to her and the people that have followed along in her pageant career and her life know who she is, and they see right through the crap that this show sometimes put the, puts these girls through. Um, they very clearly pit pageant girls against each other. Like like most shows, it's going to be for ratings and money. Um, I think most of it is just completely fake and unnecessary. And But I don't think this show necessarily cares about these girls as people. So it doesn't, you know, my opinion is just one opinion. Well, I can assure you they don't. So, and I had Alea on. Right. <laughs> and, and just a little behind the scenes for everybody listening, you don't know this. When I had Alea on, uh, the Bachelor producers said, I want to be on the call. And so I had them on the call right. for all, all 60 minutes that we had the conversation. They just wanted to make sure that I didn't reveal anything about the show that Alea you know, maybe had told me. And so that's how strict they get with their contracts and how much uh, power they want to exert over you to make sure that they get what they want, but you don't get what you want. And I, I hate that about it. I really do. Right. And she told me, I mean, yeah, she told me all about y'all's call and how they sit on the phone the whole time. Um, thankfully for me, I am not under contract, so I owe them nothing. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I can very freely say that I think they are just not necessarily bad people, but I think they don't give two shits about these girls. And it's sad because then these girls come off this show and their their lives are so different. You know, they they some of these girls really genuinely go on there to find love um, with this guy and the way that they get portrayed and then end up getting sent home or whatever happens afterwards that their, their lives are, don't go back to normal. You know, they walk down the street and people who are diehard bachelor fans really do recognize them in public. And it can be hard sometimes for these girls. Um, and I think they get, you know, they get a lot out of the show in one aspect, but then again, like I said, um, they don't ever, really get to live their normal lives again. One, because of their personal experience with the show, I think that changes changes them for sure, but then how other people see them as well. well the funny thing is, literally every girl that's on, except for Kelsey Weir, I know Kelsey, but I don't, I've never really talked to her about The Bachelor. I, right. I pretty much talked to all of them before they ever went on the show, because they'd ask me, what do you think? Do you think I should go on or not? And, you know, mm -hmm. everybody from Hannah and Kaylin, I was always like, you know, I'm not a huge fan. I don't think it's a really good thing. Yeah. Now, obviously, Hannah could look at me and be like, I proved you wrong. But, you know, <laughs> at the end of the day, you're taking a big, big risk, you know, because you're, you're putting yeah. yourself out there. And, and literally, they, that two-year contract controls your life. You can't do anything else outside of ABC's permission. Um, even right. um, guys that were on The Bachelorette with Hannah, we tried to have Judge in some of our states. ABC said no. They didn't want him to come. And they literally can do that. I mean, what that pageant had nothing to do with The Bachelorette, which was already over at the time. But that's how much control they exert. So, you know, if you're thinking about it next year and you're like, well, I want to do what Hannah and Kaylin and Kelsey and Alea and Victoria did, I'm telling you. Really think that through because I don't know if it's a great idea right. myself, but, you know, I mean, if, if fame is what you want, then go for it. Exactly. And I, I absolutely feel the same way you do, actually. Um, I just remember talking to Alea as she was thinking about going on the show, and um, we we really sat down. Thankfully, I've gotten very close to their family. Her mom and I are also great friends. And we, we all considered the pros and cons that went into this, and there was a lot of back and forth on whether or not she could do it or she should do it. She ended up obviously going, and it wasn't necessarily what she thought it was going to be. But now she has that life experience. She can say she did it and she can, I mean, it happened. It, it is what it is. And now it's, it's her turn to figure out what to take from this experience as a positive 
and then what to learn from as well. And I also, you know, say look at it as a marathon. Yes, it's exciting right now. And, you know, Hannah Brown's still in the spotlight. I think Kaylin Miller-Keys is making good money online. But it has a short window. And you got to remember, you got the rest of your life. Is this something that you mm-hmm. want on your record or not? And you got to think about that. So that's our two cents. I didn't want to dig too much into it, but I thought it was really interesting <laughs> that you and Alea are tight and you've been yeah. watching. And I just, you know, it's, it's the talk of the town right now. So I get it. Yeah. All right. You ready for speed Absolutely. questions? I am so ready. All right. I put a couple of together just for you. So uh, here we go. Okay. <laughs> Number one, you're a military girl. So what is your weapon of choice? Um, the 240 Bravo. It's a machine gun. Oh, yeah. There we go. All right. Number two. <laughs> Where would you want to retire? Ooh, that's a tough one. Probably, I don't know, somewhere warm. I'm not a big fan of winter. <laughs> well, you're on the coast, so you're okay. Yes. Um, uh, let's say, I don't know. Oh, man, that's so hard. I love <laughs> Europe, though, too. So I'm gonna. I'm actually going to go with Holland because that's where my whole family is. Holland. Okay. That's a new one. I haven't heard yeah. that one. Number three, <laughs> which do you like more, gold or silver? Gold. Number four, where were you born? Stuttgart, Germany. Ooh. Number five, <laughs> what is your favorite sport to watch? Oh, I'm not a sports gal, but I would say golf or baseball. Interesting dynamic there. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Number six, what is the last thing that you liked on social media? Probably a picture of Leo, honestly. <laughs> There's plenty of them out there. Uh, number yeah. <laughs> seven, would you consider yourself a leader or a follower? Leader. Number eight, prepare yourself. What makes you angry? Okay. Ooh, dishonesty. Number nine, do you have any pets? I have two rescue dogs, two poodles. I had a little kitty. She just passed away. She was 20 years old, though, so she had a good life for sure. Wow, okay. And number 10, are you a morning or a night person? Um, I would like to say neither. Um, 100% not a morning person, though, so I'll go with night. (laughs) Just don't bother you before, like, 6 a.m. Exactly. (laughs) All right, well, that's 10 questions. You're off the hook. Thanks for answering. Uh, Look, I've I've really enjoyed this. I know you and I have both been looking forward to this conversation for a while. We actually had a chance to catch up at Miss Universe. But um, I, I love your story. Um, and I don't mean that from a, like a Miss USA story standpoint. I really appreciate the fact that, you know, you you lost the 70 pounds you've been through, like 10 years of pageantry, you're a military girl, you're out to help people. I mean, there's so much there that I'm very appreciative of. And I just, uh, I really appreciate you coming on here to share it with everybody. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I, I Like you said, we've been looking forward to this for a while. And I'm glad we got to put our experiences and our opinions out there. And hopefully people appreciate them. And if they don't, then I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to today's episode, everybody, and to Courtney Lynn Smiths for her time. Now, if you want to follow Courtney on social media, you can check out her Instagram page. It's at Courtney underscore Lynn 12. Let me spell that for you. C-O-U-R-T-N-E-Y underscore L-Y-N-N-E one two. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, and do me a favor. Subscribe to the podcast if you would. You can do so on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, the podcast app, Google Play, or you can just go to lifeafterthecrown.com. And for weekly podcast updates, just follow me on Instagram at Tim Tialdo. Until next time, remember the words of Hebrews 4, verses 12 and 13. God means what he says. What he says goes. His powerful word is sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense, laying us open to listen and obey. 
Nothing and no one is impervious to God's Word. We can't get away from it, no matter what. Make it a great week, everybody. Thank you.